Welcome to the Access Effect podcast, where you'll hear the most compelling, provocative, and real conversations with industry leaders and innovators in tech, sports, and entertainment with our host and CEO of well-known PR firm, Access Entertainment, Sarah Miller. Sarah Miller, CEO of Access Entertainment and your host for the Access Effect podcast. Super excited to be here with Eric Daimler, the CEO and co-founder of Connexus AI. Hi, Eric. Did I mess that up? No, it was great. Thank you. <laughs> You're it's good to be here. It's so funny. I, I, I'm just so glad I had you back on the show. I mean, I, I know we've been trying to reschedule this for a while. It's just been crazy out there, but which is a good thing. You are the CEO and co-founder of Connexus, which is an AI, and I keep saying big data company. And I know those words are keep have been used over the years, you know, in the same sense. And I know there's a big difference. And I know you guys are pretty much leaders in the hybrid AI. But let's I want to talk to you and have you on because there's been so much between you know AI and all the news in LA. AI is going to replace people and everything. But you know, at the end of the day, we're still dealing with big data. So I really wanted to talk to you and get your input of how we've evolved because, you know, we run a large awards show, the Media X Awards for mobile tech and entertainment and big data slash AI has always been a combined category until lately. But ChatGPT with all the AI issues, we've separated big data and AI, but I feel like people keep putting them back in the same bucket and sentence. So I kind of want to talk to you about your input, what Connexus does how you got to this point and where you're seeing the evolution of all this and where we think it's going. Is Connexus a true hybrid AI company or is it really true on the big data or are you combining both? Give us some background on this. Sure. Thanks for, for all that. Uh, Connexus AI is uh, it's a data integration company using generative AI and symbolic AI to create a hybrid AI. So it, Connexus is a data integration company. With that, we create these comprehensive data models, generally for large organizations and governments. Customers with that then are able to get competitive advantage by using all the data and knowledge that they have spent time and resources collecting. So that's what Connexus does. That's what our customers benefit from with our, with our products. So is it like, it's like data integration. So like if a company is to hire you, what, what would a company need? Or like, like on the IT side, why would we hire Connexus? Like walk me through a scenario to where the data and what you guys do kind of helps clarify in our end, how we would work with you and where all this big data is starting and ending. Yeah, the Connexus AI has a lot of touch points. The platform, it kind of expresses itself across industries and across business units within those industries. The easiest example is, is one that we often talk about, which is Uber. You know, early in our history, we work with Uber's challenge to integrate what was 200,000 databases. Uber grew up city by city. It wasn't an optimal IT infrastructure. When it then came time to optimize for ordinary business intelligence questions, supply and demand and so forth, how you bring all that together in their world had a manual, heavy manual component that required statistical comparisons between cities. So for example, if, if you wanted to see what the demand for ridership would be in the county of Los Angeles, you had to do a separate one 
for Orange County and then do a statistical comparison. It really was slow and it had some friction that led to suboptimal results. You know, we like to say that one of the reasons that Uber so dominates its competition is powered by the technology that Conexus helped build, which was bringing all that data together with an alacrity that allows its business intelligence units to be more responsive to customer driver demands. And That's what we do. We bring databases together. Data so together. You're talking about the drivers, who they're picking up, when, where, all the consumers, their profiles, when they need you, where they're going. I mean, that is actually, I mean, bring me say it that way. That's a lot of data. I mean, they're all over the place. I know they're global. I've had done Ubers in other countries. So, so you guys kind of came in and figured out how to bring all these touch points together. So you have one central intelligence that's able to calculate and tell where everybody is, where they're going, get the information relayed from one to the other. I mean, all of that intelligence of data is really what Connexus does. You guys have a solution, you guys pull it together so it's manageable and it's easier and more fluid coming and going, right? Yeah, I mean, to have MIT tell it, we are the Institute's first ever spinoff of their math department. There was a discovery in this domain called category theory that we are commercializing. That It's an abstract math that allows for the sort of meta layer to be put upon all data stores. So we don't store data. We're not a competitor yeah. to any of the hyperscalers. We are not a database company. We don't compete with uh, Oracle or, or any of the other database providers. We are a sort of layer on top of all those. We're kind of above the cloud, if you will, and it allows a company to use a, the, all of the data that they've collected across the organization. That's insane. So wait, you guys go back to the MIT comment. You guys are an extension of the MIT math department. Like, talk to me about that. We are not an extension of the math department. We spun out of the math department. One of our three co-founders, David Spivak, he's a math professor uh, at MIT. Then uh -huh. one of my other co-founders was a postdoc at MIT. I was in the federal government when this research got funded. So that's that's how we came together to to be co-founders of Connexus AI. That's insane. It's such a complicated, I mean, okay, for me, not for you guys, you, it's just easy for you. But like for me and the readers, it's, it's complicated. You know, there's just so much data and, we're, and all these companies need big data to figure out their strategy, where the trajectory is. They rely on data, but then it's a matter of where they're getting their data, how relevant is the data, how accurate is the data for them to pivot. And that's kind of an issue that we run into all the time. We're always asking clients, do you know who your market is? Do you know where's the data? And a lot of people don't have any idea. Yeah, companies do not use the data they collect. They're not really able to because it's quite hard. The money center bank that, that works with us knows that they use only about 20% of their data. They brought us in when they wanted to have better risk management because they knew they were doing good risk analysis, but on a smaller and smaller aperture of the data that they collected. So they bring in Connexus AI to create this comprehensive data model across this money center bank. So they can then make better risk decisions. Well, it's also like data acquisition. You know, a lot of these mergers and acquisitions, they're not buying the company or the executive team. They want the data. Data is invaluable and a lot of people don't have the data. So a lot of these M&As lately are not really about, they're questionable, 
because it, it's about the data. People want data. I will buy a company that has unfounded data because that data is critical. That's kind of where, like with the whole AI thing, that everybody, you know, like you know this, everybody's so freaked out about AI replacing humans and executives in the workforce. I don't buy that. I don't believe that. Where is your feedback on using AI on intelligence? So, is it data, which makes sense, or is it really, I don't want to say replace people, but it is intelligent, artificial intelligence. I think that should lay on top of everything because we're only humans. We only know so much, unless we're MIT math. <laughs> Guys, I think it's very difficult to figure out where and how AI is going to be a benefit. You know, we, we say it like this. Uh, people have gotten the memo about data being the new oil and all that. <laughs> we all recognize that data is increasing exponentially or quadratically, to be precise. What's less well known is that the number of data sources are also increasing exponentially. The combination of data sources with just data as an absolute basis, each growing exponentially, is that the intersection of those has this combinatorial explosion that just is too difficult for the large organizations to manage. It's just, it's too large, too deep, too wide, whatever, uh, that systems can't take in and then analyze uh, all of the data. We worked on a couple of M&A transactions where as you can imagine, you know, most of the value of companies is in the knowledge that was created. And you know, people hold some of that knowledge, but they want to put, they express that somehow in, in digital systems increasingly. For an M&A transaction, any buyer wants to think that what they are buying is true, but then they have to get that data out of their seller's system, you know, into their own system. So first of all, they, they, they did their due diligence, but they have a database essentially that they're buying that has customer information, customer behavior, some data about their own uh, employees or staff that probably comes with that, that which what they're buying. All of that is a data product that needs to be validated and then moved and then integrated into the, the buyer's system. Each point there is a friction that often today uh, requires a whole bunch of manual effort using tools from companies like Ab Initio or 30-year-old Informatica, good companies, good tools. But it adds some uncertainty to m and transactions. It also adds to the schedule. Each of those criteria therefore decrease the potential purchase price that a buyer is willing to pay. So what we do, what Connexus AI does in m and transactions is we are able to prove the validity of, of a seller's digital product, you know, the, what you're uh, buying is what you're getting. We're able to substantially uh, speed up the process of migrating those queries into a new application and then integrating it into a buyer's digital system. The speed and assurance with which Connexus AI is able to do that is benefits both a buyer and a seller. Both companies benefit, they get a higher sale price, and the goods upon which the trade was made uh, get put to use uh, more quickly. It benefits everybody. So Connexus AI helps in M&A and, and, and we're look forward to doing more. Yeah, I just, I love your background. Like it, your background is all math and technology. I know you spent some time at the White House um, in the Office of Science and Technology Policy. 
Was that where you kind of got started and formed the idea that you need to take AI, big data, the intelligence to create your own company? I mean, can you talk about what you did? I mean, I, I know it was for the White House, but it's impressive that you spent time there in science and technology on the policy. Can you talk a little bit about why did you end up, do, why did you spend a good, I think you're there for a year or two, and then how that spun off into where you are right now? Because I feel sure. like when we talk about leadership, I mean, technology leadership is tremendous globally, and you've got such a tremendous background of credentials. The fact that you spent time in the White House overseeing that, I'm assuming, you know, that was a huge pivotal turning point in your career. Yeah, I think, yeah thank you for the, the kind words. I have been doing AI for 20 plus years. I mean, my, my PhD is in the area. I was an AI researcher and a, uh, a, a dean for, for a time in the distant distant past. I, I, I've been a venture capitalist on Sand Hill Road for a, a time. I, I've started five companies. Connexus AI is my sixth. The commonality being all kind of technically sophisticated uh, firms. This latest one is is the best yet. And in there, I spent time in the government as an AI authority. I think the first AI authority in the White House. It, it turned into an office of uh, uh, AI initiative, I think it was, into the next administration by some terrifically competent people and then continues today. And I served alongside some wonderful people and I hope to go back someday. The day-to-day -day job in the government when I was there was about defining the next era of AI research that would benefit the American people and, and America's allies. Uh, that's where we spent our time. So we would work with colleagues across the executive branch, the Defense Department, Transportation, Energy, to uh, collect our most comprehensive set of needs and a, come up with a cohesive uh, singular vision for where we'd want to be allocating Americans' tax dollars to be put to use and in focusing the research to keep American and uh, and allied leadership. So you said you've been studying AI for the past 22 years. AI has been around. It's not just like the latest tech buzzword or what's happened to the pandemic. A lot of people were getting onto this whole NFT bandwagon saying, you know, where AI came out of it, crypto, and then AI is backing it. And then we got into this whole public fear of being replaced by all this new technology. I, I, I know like... The, AR and VR has been around for a long time. It finally circled around to be a hot buzzword a few years ago in entertainment. Like AI has been around for 22 years. I mean, how, like, how was it used back then when you first started? Then how has it evolved where we are now? I mean, why did it, and why, I mean, I guess why did it take so long? It's because all things take time to evolve. But was AI always made for like government and it just kind of became public kind of like bitcoin and all this other web stuff or like like where did this come from yeah i love these uh these sort of questions because it, it can occur like it is uh sudden you know i've been yelling as loud as i can about it for for some time and when i was in government uh, i was trying to bring into the people into the conversation of ai uh but there's nothing like having chat gpt just doing the proverbial smack across the face to, to for people to think oh oh what is this new technology and it, no it's not it's not really new uh, at all in some ways not really surprising for those people in the business you know the innovation of chat gpt was to make it really accessible and to take many technologies that a lot of people have been doing and do them at scale but going back we have 
then we, we, the collective researchers in AI, can trace our lineage back to, I think it was 1956 is generally when people uh, say it started in, in a, at a retreat up in Dartmouth, where the, the term got invented and, and the joke at the time, it's a joke now, but it was kind of funny, but this actually got said was somebody thought that this artificial intelligence stuff in 1956 was going to occupy the summer. <laughs> but you know, fast forward you know, 80 years and yeah. we're, we're still working hard. The, to think about how long this has been around, you, your audience can think about in their heads when the first autonomous car hit U.S. public roads. So car going down, the, uh, going down a road in the United States by itself with no driver. You think in your head, when was the first time that happened? I, think Tesla, people... I just think Tesla in the past year or two. Okay, so you'd say 2022? It started, well, it was the first autonomous I mean... car? I would, oh my God, with pandemic messed up my, yeah, I did it past four or five years. Tesla did it. Uh, okay. I know you're going to tell me I'm wrong. So. That's okay. So that the first one was in 1983 really? in, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania by researchers at Carnegie Mellon. This was a van, a big van. Uh, the joke at the time was that there was more computing power in the back than the entire developing world. The car was driving very slowly, five miles per hour. Uh, and and it was daylight. It was clear, sunny, uh, and it was uh, dry. So we have all of these different components at five miles per hour. But it was 1983. So in many ways, autonomous driving has been solved. But these edge cases are ridiculously hard and and ridiculously large. And that's what really we've been working on for the past uh, what is it 30 30 some years. That's. That's the history of autonomous driving. That's a, that is just a, a visual kind of telegenic snapshot of how AI research more generally uh, has evolved over the last 30 years. Yeah, well, look, at, it was a van back in 1983. And now you look at 2000, what, 2021, 20, 22, where Tesla is, where they're saying they're driving the cars without drivers, which I know they've taken a beating in the press on that as well. But it just shows the evolution of how long it takes to really be hunkered underground, so to speak, developing this stuff. And when it comes to the surface and in what format, I mean, it's an amazing snapshot of technology and how it's evolved because we're talking about stuff that we think is so cool and new. It's been around for 20, 30 years. It, it just came out of the format, but nobody paid attention. Or I mean, I had no idea. That's a really good technology fact. I just feel like there has to be so much more we have to look forward to than how you apply AI, apply big data and all these, whether it's ARV or these other technologies to what we do on a daily basis. If you look at this gap from then to now, look at where we could be like 10, 15 years from now. You know, 30 years ago, there was a chip called the Pentium chip. And I remember that just because there was an error on that chip produced by Intel. I think that chip had something like 5 million transistors on it. I could be wrong, but I think it was something around 5 million transistors in 1995. Today, the, the chips that Apple produces for just for our phones has something on the order of 155 billion transistors. It's just incomprehensible. Yeah. It's really computing power that's changed over the last 30 years. That's what's enabled us to collect so much data. You know, ChatGPT is an innovation to be sure. It's very smart people there running it, leading it, doing the research in it. it, it it's, it's fantastic and a contribution. The interesting part about ChatGPT is that 
many of us in the in the business, I will say, that were doing computational linguistics, you know, thought there were a point of diminishing returns for collecting data. What we didn't expect is that the point of diminishing returns for collecting data was far, far, far larger than we expected. You know, we yeah. didn't think that we'd need trillions or there would be a benefit of collecting trillions of different metrics with which to train our models. But, you know, that's that's what we have. I mean, the, the, the training for ChatGPT is very, very expensive. And that certainly was outside of the realm of, uh, of, of a university. But you get that one discovery, I guess we'll say, or, or push yeah. by ChatGPT to, to scale this technology, plus the computing power, as, as I'm describing, and the, and the storage, obviously, and the networking that enables that. And presto, you have, you have something that looks like it came out of nowhere. So it's not really the technology, the AI, and all these features and benefits. It's a computing power that's evolved or had to evolve to where it's at today to bring these things to life. Yeah, so you know, people criticize the researchers that were uh, instrumental in having computers and chess beat humans, and then later in Go, the researchers beat humans. Yeah. And they're sometimes they're sometimes criticized because they did they did some degree of hard coding in there where it was a little bit of a cheat, I guess you could say. It wasn't purely algorithmic in an abstract sense, but the criticism is, is often unfair because the computing power just wasn't there. At the time, you know th those innovations, those those accomplishments by those those good researchers at, at those times was was deserving of, of its praise. Had they the computing power today to solve those problems, it, it would have been a completely uh, different problem. The computing power has enabled much of what we are experiencing yeah. today, and and will will continue to enable uh, what we're going to be seeing in the near future. Yeah, I'm so funny. We're talking about AI and my background to my Zoom just flashed in front of my eyes on an AI module. And I don't even know how that happened. That is such weird timing. Very weird timing. So, okay, so we're not going to get, I just, I feel like, like we've evolved so much in AI. Let's talk a little bit about where we are right now on the business side, because people are now saying, and I, I don't want to get into whole Hollywood bullshit. I, I want to respect, you know, the technology focus of where we are, but people are now saying, hey, we're concerned we're going to be replaced by AI. I don't I don't see that happening because I still think for JetGPT, and there's also a Google one, a Google AI module that we actually use the Google one. We didn't use ChatGPT because it just, it was so broken up. We use an AI model from Google. I forgot what the name of it was. And we use that to collect data on a project for a client. But I feel like a lot of people are starting to say, well, you just got to feed it, feed it. The more information you feed it, the more intelligent it becomes. But I kind of feel like from human nature, I don't want to have somebody feed and feed and feed it, the machine, they are machine to get back what we want. I could just have somebody write it quicker and faster, or then maybe use AI to fact check it because we've been hit up by a lot of companies. Hey, as a PR firm, do you want to use AI to, you know, write your press releases? Do you want to use AI for legal briefs? And there's some things we just can't and won't use AI because we can't verify the facts. I mean, where do you think AI is going right now? And where is the best place for it to thrive and survive into our future? I think the applications for AI are, are manifold. Uh, I am encouraged by the applications for often life-saving technologies. I was at some uh, exhibition where I got to 
where I was a speaker and I got to play around as a, uh, as a speaker with some sort of surgical robotics. And I was fascinated by the degree to which this this essentially this very long tweezer combined with scissors was able to be controlled by my fingers, but then guided guided automatically by this uh, you know, series of sensors into what I essentially needed to do. It, it made me feel at least that somebody completely incompetent in medicine might be able to do something that, that in, yeah. in the near past uh, required a great deal of training or today still requires a great deal of training. That's, that's just an example. So if, if somebody like me, an idiot in medicine can, can, do something, you know, that means that people that are actually expert in, in this field of, of medicine and surgery might be able to be even better at their jobs. And that, yeah. that's, a, that's just an example. Obviously, uh, in driverless cars, uh, I am encouraged by uh, the ability to reduce, if not eliminate, the, the 40,000 traffic collisions uh, d deaths that we have from traffic collisions uh, every year, just in the United States, let alone globally. I think the number is something on order of a million uh, people die globally uh, from from traffic collisions. And I, I certainly encourage you know, governments to embrace the adoption of driverless cars because they are just life saving compared to humans. So that's those are you know, life saving areas. I will say for Connexus, Connexus AI, you know, we say that we save lives because we enable our customers for example, to bring drugs to market more safely and more quickly, to develop airplanes with more security and they're lighter and cheaper, to have energy systems operate with more efficiency and have our financial system be more secure. So in a whole range of issues where bringing together more data and having it be mathematically proven to be correct that's what Connexus AI does. And I think that's another application of AI where I would say that we are contributing to life and death outcomes on our customers. That's a benefit of AI. So there's, I am hugely optimistic on one side of the coin for the applications of AI in the near future. See, I agree with you. I'm all for using AI on the tech side, aviation, auto, uh, government. You need that artificial intelligence. You need the data. You need to make sense of it all and spit out good outcomes. I'm all for that. And I think the more, and I've always been big on lean into technology to thrive and survive and to, you know, evolve. We have no choice. What I'm kind of against right now is all this bullshit in the media. Oh, well, AI is going to replace our jobs at studios and we're writers and actors and producers. And I just feel like that's such a lack of education of what technology does, what it can do and why we need to lean into it. I mean, it's a big deal with, like, you look at technology, I mean, you come from the math and science side of the coin. So obviously, you know, you're looking pragmatically at where technology can evolve and save lives and how it's being used. If I look at it, and I agree, but if I look at the other side of the coin in entertainment, and I'm looking at all this bullshit, there's so many people that are afraid of technology that won't lead into, they want to be an expert in it just for their own egos, whatever, and social. But then I'm looking at where, the lack of education is leading and where it's led for Hollywood and the studios, because I know there's a lot of rights management DRM, but now I'm starting to see a lot of articles circulate on AI that people hate AI. They won't embrace AI. They're afraid of it and they don't want it to replace the authentication of what their true trade is. And I feel like that's a lack of education or fear of technology, not so much as the crux of what the technology is meant 
to be used as is like, is that an accurate statement in your mind or am I missing a valid point here when I say that? You know, the way I talk about AI isn't from a, a technical definition that might make sense between fellow researchers, but it's in a, a kind of a human context about how it affects our lives. Some people can think of it as augmentation, you know, the same way that a, a calculator might augment us. And I'm not threatened by my calculator, you know, even though a calculator is, is you know, quote unquote, smarter than me at certain mathematics or certain pieces of arithmetic. Uh, calculators are basic calculators on my phone but when i look at these engineering calculators yeah you, i want to go back to just a typical phone calculator i'm not threatened by it i guess we'll say i'm not threatened i'm not scared i don't think i'm going to be out of a job because of my calculator yeah or even excel to use something more a exactly. more sophisticated yeah. example what's different today what's changed today and why people can be rightfully a little bit anxious, I can say, and we as a society need to, to be grappling with this, is the abruptness with which change happens. You know, our ancestors worked mostly on a farm or, our, or in factories. And we are, I am grateful that I am not doing that hard labor on a farm or in a factory from, that we've seen pictures of from the early 20th century, a little, a little before that. The slow automation, and that's the word that can often be used about these things, the automation of these jobs is really to be embraced and celebrated. Many examples of people would know, but the, you know, elevators used to be manually operated and elevator operators became a job that, that no longer exists. It was slowly as that became automated, people got scared of it. People were uh, a little reluctant to get into an elevator without a human operating the elevator. So elevator music was invented to entice people into the elevator, to make it feel a little safer, a little more comfortable. You know, typists have been often replaced. You know, switchboard operators have been replaced. Those careers have faded. They weren't really abrupt. The people might shed a tear for many of those jobs and this old way of life that they that somehow they around which they feel some nostalgia. But nobody that I've met ever feels the same for treasury bond traders or equity stock traders on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange, which is today mostly a tourist attraction or a media backdrop. You know, th those jobs used to be manual and they have mostly now gone away. The difference with the abruptness is that digital technology, when it works, works infinitely well. Like we're describing with autonomous cars, these technologies can be in development for decades and they don't work, they don't work, and they don't work. But when they suddenly do work, I don't need to wait until Wednesday morning to get rid of my treasury bond trading staff. Yeah, they just I don't need them anymore. Once the digital technology works, it works infinitely well. And those jobs can get replaced without warning. That's frightening to people that have spent their lives in whatever career, because the predictability, not just of their of a particular job being vulnerable, but certainly the timing is really difficult to predict, even among experts. That is what's different today. And that is, I think, justifiably giving some people some anxiety. Yeah, and, and and I think it's just moving forward. It's just the education. It's reading. It's listening. It's you know we have people who you know we talk to in clients who are just adamant. They don't want to hear about it. They don't want to talk about it. They don't like it. They don't use it. They fear that they're going to be seen as being replaced. So they're always commenting, "This is authentic. We wrote this. We did this." Um, I, I just think it's 
you've got to be open to the actual education of what it can do, what it's there for. And I think there's like that panic mode, like you alluded to, that people are just, it's too abrupt. They don't want, they're just pushing back. And like, I think that's what's also creating this velocity of inaccurate. You know, there are some uh, governments in, in the world that are, instead of protecting jobs, protecting people. Protecting jobs is, can be often warped into protecting against automation or, or some, somehow subsidizing jobs against better efficiency or better safety in many cases. And, and that's it's something is not for me to decide, but it, I, I, I think you know, what we really care about are people, not jobs. You know, we care about the dignity of people yeah. in their contributions in the world and their ability to maintain a life uh, with with daily work. Uh, that's what we care about. We don't we don't care about did some you know keeping the manual practice of farming around. We don't we, we automate farming and nobody thinks that's controversial anymore. Yeah, now it's been like, like I hate that we're gonna have time. Like, I feel like this is such a good conversation and it's so funny because I'm pretty tech savvy, but I'm gonna be honest, this is fascinating to me because it's like light years ahead of what I deal with on a day-to-day basis. Of technology. I know enough about AI and big data to be dangerous. I know enough to help our clients on the PR side. I know enough of it, you know, when it comes to podcasts and interviews and conferences. But like sitting down and talking to people on such an intelligence level who really know the intricacies, ins and outs of AI data and how all this affects us now, where it came from and how it's moving into the future is such an amazing conversation and so enlightening and I think more people do need to have conversations with people like yourself they need to be educated on the benefits moving forward to evolve versus that fear factor and I I just think that's just cleaning up you know the education and making people actually understand what's going on out there how long has Connexus been around for? Uh, Connexus spun out of MIT in 2011 technically but we have had a commercial expression since 2017. Gotcha. Well, so what do we have to look forward to before we run out of time? Where do you see the company going? Like as technology evolves, as AI evolves, obviously Connexus is always going to stay ahead of the curve and hybrid as it opens more doors. But where do you see this company growing in the next like five years as the technology evolves behind it? Connexus AI addressing the problem of data integration as a very bright and and large future. This consumes uh, the majority of IT spending globally. The reason that many of these large consultancies exist, uh, Tata, Wipro, Tipco, to say nothing of Accenture or Deloitte, uh, they exist to do manual data integration work. There are tens of thousands of people doing this dreadfully tedious uh, manual data integration work. Every time an application needs to get get upgraded, you need to do some manual work today. Connexus AI automates that process. An 18-month task that it can involve tens upon tens of people doing boring t- tasks that they find to be tedious, but we compress that uh, into just a couple of, of weeks, if not a couple of days. Uh, that's the benefit of AI. That has manifold benefits across uh, every industry. You know what we do is we we work with this symbolic AI scaled using category theory combined with probabilistic generative AI to combine 
into a hybrid AI. That hybrid AI is where every large industry is going to be seeing their digital infrastructure going uh, over the next five to 10 years. Amazing. So how can people, I know we have a lot of tech people and I know our audience is all C-level tech, sports entertainment, everybody who is tapped into AI and data on one form or another. Where can people find the company and um, how can they find you if they have questions or for people who are in that big data AI need, where can we send them? Yeah, Conexus.com, C-O-N. E-X-U-S. It's uh, Latin for join. It's Conexus. Ah, Conexus.com. See, there's a reason for everything. It's not just technology. And That's Eric, right. how can anybody, how can everybody reach you directly? Uh, Eric Daimler on LinkedIn. It's probably the best way to reach out. Perfect. Perfect. Oh my God, it was so good having you. I, I got on the show. I feel like I need more like 2.0 education and AI with you, but it was so good having you on the show to talk about this. I do wish you the best of luck. We are going to keep an eye out for you guys because I do like that you're leading the way in AI and everything. So definitely keep me posted of how you guys evolved and everything. But it was great having you on the show. This is Sarah Miller with Access Entertainment with Eric Dahmer at Connexus. And Eric, thank you so much for coming on today. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Access Effect podcast. If you don't want to miss an episode or download past episodes, be sure to subscribe to the Access Effect podcast on your favorite podcast provider. To learn more about the podcast or our guests, please visit theaccesseffect.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.